the Holy Spirit and His gifts. By Rod Anderson. Lesson four. Father, we thank you once again for the word of God. We're asking you to help us, Father, as we learn how to yield to your spirit, as we learn more about what it means to be filled, to be blessed with this wonderful, wonderful truth, Father. Please guide us into a better understanding of these things, and please help me, Father, to communicate that part which you want us to communicate. In Jesus' name, we trust you to help us through this hour, Father. In the name of the Lord, we pray. Amen. Okay, this is hour number four, then, on the Holy Spirit and His gifts. And again, we're just going over and talking about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, what it means to be possessed by Him and learn how to yield to Him and so on. And ideally, we're still on lesson two, and we're on page six. And just to get started here, I'm going to start reading from point two where it says the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And then we're going to move right along pretty quickly because, I, like I said, I've got a few hours to teach you a lot of things, and I want to try to get to some of the parts that are, I believe, more important for us to have an overview of. The Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit is mentioned 81 times in the Old Testament. And verse 2, we've referred to several times. Genesis 1-2, And the earth was without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved or hovered upon the face of the waters. Genesis 6, 3, we see this interesting verse where it says, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive or contend with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. In other words, after the flood, whereas man lived 800, 900 years, now God said that, you know, he's not going to contend with him forever, and he set this precedent where he said that, the average lifespan will be around 120 years. Exodus 31, 1, and 1 through 6, I'm going to read this because I just like them a lot, and I want you to understand that this spirit again is, well, just, just listen. Then the Lord said to Moses, this is about building the tabernacle of Moses. He said, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of craftsmanship. Moreover, I have appointed Oholiab, son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan, to help him. Also, I have given skill to all the craftsmen to make everything I have commanded you. Now, the reason I very simply like that is because God, again, this same spirit that's on the inside of you, the reason this verse always means a lot to me is because of the, very, of the issue of creativity. God's word says categorically here again, he said, I put the spirit of God in these people to have skill in all manner of craftsmanship. All manner of craftsmanship, he said, came to them by virtue of the knowledge of the Spirit of God. 
Now, again, this is another area that I just wish more Christians would release their faith for or with or toward. There are people that have, uh, again, in another course I used to do, I talked about the different anointings that the Bible teaches. There's a what's called a, a voracious authority, which, excuse me, different authorities the Bible teaches, but they're different anointings. That's the highest authority there is. It's called voracious, voracious, verity, the Latin word truth. Truth is a, truth carries authority simply because it's truth. Because truth can never be anything other than truth. That's why God is the strongest and the greatest authority that there will ever be. That's why God's word is the strongest and most powerful authority that will ever stand. Because it is truth. So there's voracious authority. Then there's delegated authority. Uh, there's what's called a manifested authority, but then there's what's called functional authority that some people have. And those are people like gifted artists or gifted pianists. There are some people that just naturally, isn't it? You know, they almost, they almost make you angry, don't they? There are some people that work and work and work. They can take piano lessons for 50 years. And you know what I mean? I mean diligently. And then there are some people that just seem to sit down at a keyboard and it's a gift. I mean, it's just boom. And they just are able to just, you know, just, just create something incredible. It's, that's a functional anointing or functional authority. And there are people that just seemingly in the natural have that, and they do have that. There are people that are just naturally gifted towards certain business aspects or, or artistic design or what have you. But Beyond that, what I, I, what I just want you to see is this, is God is the creator. Therefore, in my humble opinion, he's probably pretty creative. I mean, he did a pretty good job. When, if you travel much, if you go into the deep, you know, the deep valleys, the high mountains, the oceans, or wherever, incredible gardens, rainforests, and I mean, when you actually see and believe that God created all this stuff, you, you know, what is the... When I consider the heavens and the, and the stars and the moons up above which thou hast created, what is man that thou art mindful of him or the son of man that thou visitest him? Psalm 8. When you look and you really consider all of the handiwork of God, hopefully you will have to agree the dude's pretty creative. <laughs> I mean, of course, it sounds goofy to say it, because, but he is the creator. Now, I always, like I said, in verses like this are the ones that I ran past my son many, many years ago. When Jamie was a young boy and he... He really had a desire to get on the keyboards and stuff like that. But he was listening to some music that I just preferred he didn't listen to. Incredible, you know, pianist and what have you. But it was off in some areas that, you know, I just wasn't, wasn't Christian to say the least. And while I don't have a, I don't freak out about it, there's just some stuff because of the lyrics and stuff I just don't abide by in particular. You know, if you live in my house, that's the way it is. And Jamie, he said to me one day, I just said to him, son, I said, you know, I really prefer that you didn't listen to that music, you know. And he said, well, dad, he said, it's just that I'm getting, I'm really learning some stuff because I'm listening to these riffs and some of these, these cuts these guys are making on the keyboards. And he said, I'm learning some things from them. And I said, you know, I fully understand. I said, you know, the Bible says the children of this world are wiser than the sons of men and Aries. And there are some of those guys that just have, like I just said, a real functional authority and anointing. They, they have some stuff. And and you can glean some stuff from them. I'm not saying that you can't, my son. So I'll make sure you hear me say that too. I'm not saying if you have enough maturity that you can't learn from some of those people. But learning their gifting is one thing as long as you're not influenced by their spirit. But I said to him, I said, but let me ask you a question, Jamie. I said, I, you want creativity, right? And so you know where I'm going already. And he said, yeah, I, I just really want to be more creative. 
I said, well, have you ever actually thought about the fact that this God we serve is called the creator? <laughs> you know, I said, you know, he's pretty creative. I said, if you were to begin to release your faith, like the, some of the psalmists that I know, the musicians that I know, like I, I, I refer to this often because I've got some close friends in the States, like I said, that are just some of the most tremendous true psalmists in the world. And I said, these guys, every single time they sit at the keyboard, every single time they pick up a guitar, every single time they stand up to sing, they lay a Bible at their feet, they put a Bible on their keyboard, they lay a Bible by the mic stand, and they have prayed beforehand, and they have trusted, because I was taught by them about some of these things, about this part, because, you know, I'm not a musician, so I don't have a penchant towards that. I just love music, like most of us do. But they're the ones that told me that the threefold, for example, the threefold anointing of a psalmist, of course, is the only person in the Bible that's called a psalmist is David. David, of course, the record that we have of him, of course, is when King Saul appointed him to come and to play for him when he was going nuts, you know, going wild. And the Bible says that when David played, Saul was refreshed, he was healed, and he was delivered. And these guys said, we say every single time before, we say, Father, we thank you for your creativity, and we're trusting you, and we're releasing our faith, and we're expecting you, we're asking you in Jesus' name to let that anointing flow through us. Every single note we play, every single note we sing, we're going to expect there to be healing, refreshing, and deliverance come. And creativity began to come. So in other words, and these people are far more than musicians, because again, when it comes to music, I'd rather have somebody anointed than just skilled. And, and when you get the two together, it's incredible. But the point is with Jamie, I was trying to say, son, let's look at verses like this. God said here, for example, to Moses, he said, I've chosen these people. I've filled them with the Spirit of God with skill and ability and knowledge in all kinds of crafts. And I'm trying to say, and this is what I'm trying to say to us today, I don't care what your job is. You should be asking God's spirit to bring you creative ideas. In the book of Proverbs, it says that God gives knowledge of witty inventions to people. So you can become a multimillionaire. <coughs> in a year's time. I mean, there are people that have been doing people that learn how to listen to the Spirit of God. He'll give knowledge of something brand new. And even when it comes to money, remember there are people that make money and then there's people that earn money or, or you know, like create money. It, it, and they're both okay, but the point is God can give you knowledge of something and it can you know, I mean, you know, some of the wealthiest people that have ever lived, you know, like Guy Letourneau was the guy, you all know what four-wheel drive vehicles are. He's the guy that invented all of the heavy earth-moving equipment where they build dams, build roads, build anything. The giant, these giant road, big old honking things. But none of them were powerful because none of them had four-wheel drive. He was the guy that came up with the patent for four-wheel drive things that it's all over the earth today. I mean, he's in heaven now. But Laternal tells a story about how he just sat down one day and prayed because he was filled with the Spirit of God. And he went into his little closet, began to pray and said, God, I want an idea. And, oh, I know what it was. It was that, excuse me, I'm actually, I got to tell it more accurately than that. It was when they were going to build that, the giant dam, the Aswan Dam, Ash, Ashwan Dam, or whatever it is, and I'm mispronouncing it, but wherever it is in Saudi Arabia or someplace, the biggest dam on the earth. And they said, and they had all these engineers and architects around, and they said, well, 
it can't be built because we don't have the equipment to build it. There's no equipment exists that's big enough to do the job that needs to be done. And Eternal was sitting at the table. <laughs> that's, that's the story, I'm getting it right now. <laughs> Eternal was sitting at the table. He was a junior engineer in this company and he was, supposed, he was just there observing, taking notes, what have you. But the Spirit of God touched him and all these people are sitting around a board table and they're discussing about what needs to be done, but there's no equipment that's available to do it. There's no equipment that exists. And Eternal, they say he, he said, they said he raised his hand real quietly and said, excuse me, may I say something? And they said, what? And he said, I can build it. <laughs> and they all looked at him and said, what are you? you know, his boss looked at him and said, what are you talking about? He said, I can build it. He said, I've got an idea. He said, would you give me, you know, I think he said, give me 30 days. And he went away and started praying and God gave him this whole design for how to create these twin axles and stuff and create four wheel drive that caused these blades to dig deeper and to carry more in these giant trucks and stuff like that. And he, he was a multimillionaire, well, multi-billionaire. And he's the guy, one of the guys that went to his grave, as he said in his own testimony, tithing 90% of all of his income to God. He said he, he had so much income that the 10% was more than enough for him to take care of everything else. So 90% of everything that came, he just wound up giving it to God constantly. Well, that's not a bad deal. How many of you know in the body of Christ and the kingdom of God, we need more people that understand how to yield themselves to God? See, I mean, I, mean, I, I don't want to go into a bunch of my stories right now, but in Romans 1, when you understand, Romans 1 says, and I've taught this one in the class, Denise will remember this, but uh, in Romans 1, I may get ahead of myself and maybe I should refer to this later when I talk a little bit about tongues, but I don't want to do a whole teaching on tongues like I normally do, but I can't help but do some of it later. But the point is about what tongues really produces, but Romans 1 says that God has subjected creation to futility, not by any fault of its own. In other words, all of creation has, says, has been subjected to a futility. And it says, but not because of any fault of its own. It says it is waiting. It says that creation itself is waiting for the disclosure of the sons of God. What that translates into, the creation itself is waiting for somebody who is a son or daughter of God to set it free. Now the earth, no matter how much gold has been mined, how much oil has been discovered, is full of incredible wealth. And I've got stories, like I said, personal stories of a guy I worked for who through praying in tongues and understanding and taking that word and trusting the Spirit of God is a multimillionaire today. I was with him when he made the discovery and watched it happen when he prayed in tongues and God, because he understood what tongues did, he understood how to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. And he found oil where major oil corporations had spent billions of dollars shaking this earth trying to find oil and they didn't find any, and so they sold this oil lease for nothing to him. Because he was praying one day, and God told him there's oil out there, and I'll show you where it's at. He took me and a guy named Chuck Belay, and we drove out to the countryside, and he started praying in tongues. His name is Johnny Bear, John Bear. He's, not, he's back in, in Louisiana now, he's a Cajun. And it was called American Oil Field Company, and I was, it was just the three of us that worked for him. We we're all Christians, we all went to the same church. And we go out and park, and you have to understand, I could, I could tell you whole the story about Phillips Petroleum, all these giant trucks, because I grew up in current, where I'm from in California is the largest oil producing county in all of America. So everybody grew up around the oil industry. And they have what's called these huge trucks, the big trucks that they connect, they're like three miles. And I mean, there's trucks that are connected until you have three miles long of trucks, all connected by these giant cables. 
And these trucks shoot radioactive isotopes into the earth that bounce off of different rock formations and the signals that come back tell them what kind of rock it is, what kind of geology it is, to see whether or not it'll show you off through a spectrograph on these big machines, it'll show you you know, through the technology, the kind of shale deposits there are and whether or not there's stuff down there that can hold oil, basically. And they shake the earth, these things going, these big electrodes like stakes go bam into the ground underneath these trucks. The trucks are lifted up on something. And miles of them, then they do what's called, they shake the earth. And they're shaking it by shooting isotopes into the earth. Then they move these things like 100 yards and they do it again and move them 100 yards. Phyllis Petroleum spent, I mean, literally, you have to understand, they spend billions of dollars on exploration. Found nothing. Nothing, all this stuff, you know what I mean? John Bear says, I just, the Lord told me he's going to show more oils out out there. So we said, well, great, you know, so we all went to the same church, same church I taught prayer at all the time. He was one of the guys that sat in my classes. We go out there and we, he, we're just driving this little truck. We drive about 15, 20 miles outside of Bakersfield towards this oil lease. And uh, he said, let's walk. He said, I, I think we were supposed to stop here. So we stopped the car, get out, and he said, let's walk. We walked about a mile out, away from the truck out into this oil lease, just all flat, you know, nothing. Praying in tongues. John's praying in tongues. Just praying in tongues. And I'll explain why that works later. Like I said, next week, probably get to it. I have to now. <laughs> but praying in tongues because the Spirit of God quickens you and sensitizes you to stuff. And he prays in tongues, and he's just walking ahead of us, and suddenly he just stops. He goes, Rod, Chuck. He said, go get some rocks. I said, what? And he said, just get some rocks. <laughs> get some little rock. We build a little pot of rocks. And he said, now let's mark, mark how, how far we are from the road and where we're at. We walk back to the road, go back into town. He starts making phone calls to Phillips and to these other people that have this oil lease. It says, you know, Phillips has been out there. They've shook all this ground. There's nothing out there. Uh, how much would you sell me this acre, this two acres for? Sell me the rights of these two acres. And they said, well, there's nothing out there, nothing but jackrabbits and alkali. He said, well, I know, but he said, that's why it should be cheap. <laughs> they sell in the lease on these two acres. He gets up enough money to do what's called a wildcat. A wildcat is when, you, is when you're not a major company and you have to get the money up yourself to drill, in, drill a well. He puts a well out there on a pile of rocks that he discovered from praying in tongues with Chuck Belay and myself. And he drills a sucker and hits oil at 7,000 feet, which is nothing. And he's a multimillionaire today. The thing's still pumping oil. He can just, he's sitting back the rest of his life in happy land. <laughs> Creation itself has been subjected to futility, not by any will of its own. It's waiting for the disclosure of the sonships of God, the sonship of God, the sons of God to be disclosed. You're the sons and daughters of God. The spirit it says, I'll read later in Romans 8, it said the Spirit of God, one of the things it does, is, he does is he produces sonship. In other words, he produces the revelation of who you really are. I'm just trying to tell you, God's in the business of creating still. And this earth is full of stuff. And the Spirit of God in these last days is going to really unlock some stuff to people if they'll pay the prices to get it unlocked. We have barely tapped into it. John G. Lake said this many, many years ago. John G. Lake was the guy that was in South Af Africa for so long, and you've heard me share about when the bubonic plague was there, how people freaked out when he would pick up people that had this bloody froth on. They said, no, Mr. Dr. Lake, Dr. Lake, you'll die, you'll die. That stuff is, it'll kill you in a moment. And he said, it won't kill me. He said, when it touches me, it'll die. And they put stuff under microsco microscopes that had touched, took this bloody froth from this bubonic plague off of his hands, looked at it through scopes, and anything that touched him died. I mean, he let him see it. But he's the guy that said this. He said, the most spiritual men of our day, I don't care how spiritual you think like a Benny Hinn is or anybody is, 
He said, the most spiritual men of our day, I love this phrase, he said, are mere babies. They're mere babes. He said, simply, the phrase he used was prattling, simply prattling round about the shore of the sea of God's life. He said, the most spiritual men of our day have barely put their little toe in and touched this massive ocean that is the life force of God, the life of God. I'm just saying, you see, there's so much out there, but so few will dig into it because there is a price to pay. It's called decision. It's called devotion. It's called discipline. It's called determination. It's called being an individual and saying, I'm going to go for it because then, you know, there's a million things that tells you no, but then God will say yes, but it takes some old fashioned spiritual backbone. Anybody got any backbone here? You know, to press past all the beggarly elements of this world, Paul calls them. The stuff that's here that's just so non-important compared to what God really wants to unveil to those that are his children. It's just waiting. I mean, I love that. Romans 1, creation itself is waiting. Think about that. It's waiting. Creation itself is waiting for the disclosure of the sons and daughters of God. You know what I mean? Anyhow, but I can see that thrilled you. Moving right along. Anyhow, creativity. So everybody tonight, I demand that you start asking God for creativity. Do you hear me? In the meantime, I'll take a drink of tea and say to the queen. God save the queen. Point B, back on the outline real quick. In the time of Christ, about this, the working of the Spirit of God. These are familiar again, but let's look at them. Still on page six. Acts 10.38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power who and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. But again, just so basic, but remember Jesus Christ, his ministry never began until his baptism with the Holy Spirit. He was just as much the Son of Man, the Son of God, before he was baptized in water by John the Baptist. But it wasn't until the Spirit of God descended upon him like a dove that his ministry began. He was filled with the Spirit, and boy, I'm tempted to go on another, you know. <laughs> because Jesus is our pattern. <clears throat> His ministry begins with the baptism of the Holy Spirit <clears throat> or, the, or, you know, the Holy Spirit coming upon him. And the first thing, what's the first thing, what's the first thing the Spirit of God did with Jesus? Took him into the wilderness. Took him into the wilderness. He learned to pray. He learned to be alone. Remember, this is another part of the life of Jesus that a lot of people just don't get. The Bible says that Jesus learned obedience. See, again, it's so hard for Christians today to believe that he was the son of man. Remember, that he'd stripped himself of his Godhead powers. Everything he did, he had to do as a man without any special privileges, but he was a man that the Holy Spirit was upon now. But see, this is just it. See, you and I are men and women that the same, the same, not a different, but the very same Spirit's upon. 
But the first thing the Spirit of God does is leads him into the wilderness and he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. In other words, he disciplines his flesh. He brings his flesh under and he begins to hear the voice. He begins to really in earnest. Well, I mean, we know that what had to happen. He was out there. What? He's listening to God. And, and, and after the 40 days, of course, remember what happens is that he's then at the end of 40 days, it says he hungers again. They say when hunger comes a second, remember in a long fast, well, put it this way, when you first start fasting, like for most people, you know, you're only, you only feel hunger pains if you're on a total fast. Now, you shouldn't go on a total fast unless you know what you're doing or unless you've done it a few times before. Like Kenneth Hagin, like I said, who was one of my spiritual fathers long ago. He'll t I mean, you know, he was a true, true prophet of God, and he never fasted more than three days in a row in his whole life. He said that over and over again. He said, I never had to. He said, because I got the answer I needed before. Mm -hmm. So you don't need to. There's no real power per se in fasting long times, not in reality. Some people teach it that way. But the issue is, why do you fast? Does fasting move God? No. God's not changed by your fasting. Fasting backs off your flesh so that you can hear from God. In reality, in the most simplest of terms, does it have something to do with breaking powers of darkness? Yeah, to a degree, but the reason it breaks that up is because you finally hear things to say right and hear what to do. Now, again, I'm saying that very simplified, so don't start asking me a million questions. I'm not teaching on fasting, all right? <laughs> but the point is, what I started to say is when you first give yourself to a total fast, depending on what your metabolism is like, you know, you, your, your hunger pangs will be big time for the second day, the third day, and the fourth day, but normally between the fourth day, the sixth day, seventh day, all hunger pangs leave. And I mean, it's really, it's amazing when you, when you break that and you crack that, you get to, you don't have hunger pain one. I mean, you don't have, because they're gone. And, and you, and that's when this, a state of euphoria almost sits in because again, your body begins to enter into what's called a state of catabolism where your body begins to eat off of its own fat resources and its own stored food areas. And it creates a chemical release that actually causes a bitter euphoria. You feel a little high almost, it feels so good that you start kicking yourself in the rear and saying, why don't I do this more often? It is, a, it is the goofiest thing. When you really do it, you go, man, I can hear so clearly. The other funny thing is when you're really on a fast, well, one of the first things you'll notice is you talk so little because it takes too much energy to talk when you haven't eaten for four or five days. Really, it's amazing. You talk a lot less. But they say, and so I said all that to say, hunger pangs are gone, but medical, medical people say that when, on a total fast, when hunger pangs return, it's the first signs of starvation. So in Jesus' situation there, it says, it says, and when he, and then at 40 days gone by, and he hungered, and the devil came to him. And the first temptation was, again, the, the lust of the flesh, turn these stones into bread, have something to eat, and what have you. But anyhow, I'm getting way kind of off, but I just want you to see the Spirit of God, the first, His ministry begins. Not one miracle in His life until He's baptized in the Holy Spirit, but the first thing the Spirit of God does is lead Him into a time of fasting and prayer. That's all I want to say. I don't want to get locked up in whether it's 40 days of prophets fast, all this stuff. I just want you to hear, this is still, I think, where most of us miss it today. Even, I'm getting ahead of myself again, but it's okay, even the whole issue about in the old days, Pentecost, whatever, They'd say to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they used to have what they called tearing meetings in, in America. We're going to tarry till we get the Holy Ghost. We're going to tarry till we get the Holy Ghost. We're going to tarry till we get the Holy Ghost. Jesus didn't say tarry until 
you receive the Holy Ghost. He said, tarry until the Spirit of God comes upon you. He said, stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And this is what I'm trying to say. See, those people in his knowledge, he knew those people, think about who he said that to. They're the same ones that in John 20, he said, received, he blew upon them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. They already had the measure of the Holy Spirit that basically a conversion brought. They were born again. They believed he'd raised from the dead. So they believed on him. So they were saved. So they had the Spirit of God by measure. The people that already had the Spirit of God, he said, I want you to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you, till you be endued with power. Now, here again, the difference between the Spirit within and the Spirit without, or the Spirit upon. Most of us don't understand that we need to learn how to wait upon the Lord. Jesus was out there for 40 days waiting upon the Lord, and it says he returned in the power of the Spirit. Right? Say power. He returned in the power of the Spirit. He had the Spirit already, but after a time of prayer and fasting, he returned in the power of the Spirit. We have a lot of people today that have the Spirit, that even have, are filled with the Spirit of God, but until you know how to linger and wait, you have to, it's something everybody has to do. You have to wait on the Lord. You have to stay there for a while. You have to linger. You have to wait until you're empowered by Him. See, keep it simple right now. Don't get doc doctrinal on me or theological on me. What I'm trying to say is this is why you go into your prayer closet and you just wait until you, you know, until you got it. <laughs> Whatever that is. If you don't get it the first day, go back the second day. But pretty soon, if you keep it up, it may be two years for you finally make connection. But you will make a connection. And you'll feel tangibly, you'll understand what can't be taught. Because it's a spiritual thing. You can't teach the, these kind of, that, you know, you can show the form of it, but you can't teach the experience of it. It's something you have to experience. And it only comes by following some of the patterns that we see in Scripture. You you make yourself wait and you say, I'm just going to, here I am. And look kind of like, you know, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. I'm going to, I'm just locked in here. And if I don't get it today, I'm coming back tomorrow. If I don't get it tomorrow, I'm coming back the following day. But I'm going to press through this thing until I find out what this stuff's all about for me. Because again, remember, he loves you as an individual. He'll do something unique with you. But the point is the pattern is there for whosoever will. And we really need a lot more people that have been empowered. That have been empowered. Not just tickled or inspired or made to dance. Okay? That's all good. And those can all be things that the Spirit of God and His that sensation of him being near and proximity can produce, but we need more power manifested because that's what's going to make the big difference in the last days. Look for, Jesus said again, I just want you to see, he said the same thing. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He comes back, goes into the synagogue to teach, and he makes this statement. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, is upon me. 
Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Again, I just, I, I've got to move forward. All these are, are like I said, just, just different expressions of the same spirit. And I know I'm bouncing back and forth in a lot of things, but he has all these various names. Like I said, he's extremely evident in the Old Testament, and he continues his word and his work today exactly the same. I mean, it's the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead that dwells in us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody say hallelujah anyhow. We need to get to know him. Holy Spirit, please help us to know you. Just start, start praying some simple prayers. And like we said, or you can quote, like I said, that's why Benny Hinn wrote that book, Good Morning, Holy Spirit, because he talks about how he just learns, he just communes. He's trained himself to acknowledge him as the person that he is. Hello, Holy Spirit, because he's the one that's here. The Father's in heaven. The Lord Jesus is in heaven. Holy Spirit, I need, I want to commune. Commune means to fellowship. Let's fellowship together. So we sit down at a table and use your spiritual imagination. And let him sit there. This is why you have to get alone so you don't look like you're a nutter. And I mean, and just sit there and say, Holy Spirit, I, teach me about yourself. You are the teacher. You are the comforter. The strengthener, you're my standby, you're my intercessor, you're all of, you're my advocate, you're all of these things. I need to understand you better. Show me, teach me, lead me in the way that is everlasting. That's what it's all about. Then you just you get still and you and like you said earlier yourself, you know, your head gets in the way and starts to go berserk with a million thoughts, and you just have to wind up shaking your head and saying, just shut up. You know, I'm not going to lean to my own understanding. I'm going to take all those thoughts captive. I just, and it's work. Okay, nobody said it isn't work. You know, again, I can't, like we keep saying, take a magic, I can't take a mag magic wand and go bink and make all your, all your crazy mind, all the multitudes of thoughts go away. You have to, you have to work at it just like I do. I, I take those things captive. I'm not going to think that way. I have the mind of Christ. I'm going to think this way. I can do. I'm a can do person. I'm not a can't do person. I have the mind of Christ. The Bible says I do. So I say I do. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I have the mind of Christ. When I used to sit down, when I first got a hold of this stuff, when I was in Bible school, I sat down, I look at some of those exams and Old Testament, or New Testament survey and Old Testament survey, and this stuff drove me nuts because the books were that thick and they were full of so much just stuff that wasn't that inspirational. I'd say, I've got the mind of Christ. I've got the mind of Christ. I can understand this stuff. You know, I can understand this stuff. I tell my kids when they were studying in school, my daughter graduated with honors. She couldn't, she was going to fail high school in America when she was uh, 17 years old. I flew back from England. I spent one week with her. In America, every high school senior has to take the, the, the test on the American Constitution. In government, they have to pass the Constitution or else this whole thing about the Constitution is they do not graduate in any school in America. And, and she couldn't get it. At all, the difference between you know the different the executive branch, the legislative branch, and the judicial branch, the stuff that they have to teach you. Don't ask me now because I don't remember. But I said, you don't know how to study, and I said, let me teach you how to study. Your dad knows a few things. I sat with her. She'd been in this class for an entire six months, you know, entire semester and a half, and was going to fail. And she was bright, but she didn't know how to study. She didn't know how to apply herself. And I said, let's pray, and we're going to pray and trust the Holy Spirit. 
I sat there with her and just showed her some basic things about association. I worked with her for five days. She took the test and got 100%. Blew her mind. She called me, daddy, 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 because she just was going to fail, wasn't going to graduate, flipped out. She went to university and, like I said, began to take the same, just, just she learned to just say, I'm going to trust God. And she learned to study, and I taught her just basic things about how you study. You read a book, then you read it a second time. Take that chapter, outline the chapter. Take one statement out of each paragraph and write it out. That's how you study something, you know, and, you know, if you really want to learn something, because it's called retention, how you retain information. And she graduated with honors. You know, when she was going through all kinds of stuff, but she caught it. She understood that she could do anything. And that's what threw us. said, see, baby, you can do anything. You actually can. It's just that you've, you've you taught yourself for so long that you can't, and you accepted so many lies. that. But the truth has set her free. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, and the, but see, don't do it for anybody. Because God's in the business of whosoever will call upon him, he'll be rich unto. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The Lord, it says, is rich unto all that call upon him. I would suggest you guys start calling upon him more. Just keep it simple. Be like a child. Help me understand this stuff. Show me how to do this job. Help me pass this test. Help me do this stuff. Give me favor in Jesus' name. I expect favor with my employer. I don't care how many people who got fired or made redundant. I expect favor. And if I do get made redundant, it's because you got a better job for me. So I'm not going to be freaked out if I do get made redundant. You know, whatever. You have a different, you, you get a different attitude. Something because you realize God is for you. He's not against you. And if God be for you, who can be against you? I mean, the basic things of the Bible begin to come alive because the Spirit of God begins to testify and witness to you that you're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. Hallelujah. You're not a man to be laid low. My wife says that over me probably five times a day. Every time I walk by and I'm feeling bad or going through something, she says, you're not a man to be, you're not a man to be made low. That's her favorite thing to confess over me constantly. You're a king's kid. Your name is Rod. It means ruler. It means, it means, it means renown. It means kingly one. And that's who you are. You're a king and all this stuff. And I, go, I don't feel like a king. <laughs> you're a king, you know. You're not a man to be laid low. Rise up. You know, I go, okay, okay. pretty soon I'm going, all right, glory to God. I was. You know, I'm just like anybody else. I go through my moments, you know, and stuff like that. And, you know, I'm, thank God it's the old story when one's weak, the other one's strong, you know. But we all go through, but we have to gear ourselves up sometimes. I don't wake up every morning feeling like super saint, like you guys do, you know what I mean? Every morning I wake up, da, 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 da. here I'm saying, rip off my shirt and there's a giant sea there, super Christian, you know. You know, no, this doesn't work that way. You know what I mean? I, sometimes I wake up and go, oh, my God. You know? Instead of going, yes, God, I go, oh, my God. Just like you guys do. So don't look at me all holy. <laughs> Lesson three. I got to hurry already. I too, took too much time being silly. The actual baptism of the Holy Spirit. The terms defined. This is page seven. Let's let's boogie. In other words, let's move quickly here. Baptism, the literal word means to dip or to plunge, to be immersed in. We're talking about now the Holy Spirit's baptism or being filled. The word filled speaks to, to reach to the point of overflowing. Now here I'm going to run basically through this because we're going to go through it again in the next lesson next week, some of it. But Acts chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. Point B, it is most definitely a subsequent. I've said this last week, but see, I want this drilled into you so that you don't get deceived by that old teaching about how once you get saved, you got all the Holy Spirit you're ever going to have. That's not the truth. 
Otherwise, there wouldn't be all these kind of things. It is, we're talking about being empowered or having the Holy Spirit come upon you, being baptized with, being filled with, whatever phrase you want to use, those phrases are okay to, you know, use synonymously. But the point is, watch this. Acts chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. But when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So if we read the whole chapter, you see that Philip's the evangelist. He's the only one in the Bible called an evangelist. Philip is preaching. They believe. And what was he preaching? It says the things concerning the kingdom and the name of Jesus. So they, were, they believed, they were baptized in water, so they're saved. Amen? Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip, and he wondered or was amazed, beholding the miracles and the signs which were done. Verse 14. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God. What's that mean? In other words, they'd received the truth about Jesus. They got saved. When he heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. In other words, the church, the first church was there in Jerusalem. They sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they were come down, what did what they do? Prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost, for as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. So hopefully you can agree with me here. Categorically, these people had received the Lord, but they had not received whatever you want to call this subsequent experiences. So they were, because listen, to be born again means the Holy Spirit has to come in you. That's what the Bible teaches. But we're saying there's a secondary experience, a subsequent experience that's different from just having been born of the Spirit that we call being filled with the Spirit. And here's, so point A, they had been born again and baptized. Point B, the apostles came to minister the Spirit to them. Point, and verse 18 and 19, Acts 8. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given. Now the reason I... There's a couple of things here, but I just want you to see this. Whatever happened when Peter and John laid hands on them, something visible manifested because Simon and others saw something happen. Now, what we're going to learn later is, if the Bible says you always interpret Scripture in context with other Scripture, in every other case, when people had hands laid on them and they were filled with the Spirit, it says they spoke with other tongues. So very easily you can see that right here, what, I mean, that's what had to have happened. They, because that's the initial evidence of the infilling of the Holy Spirit all through Scripture that we'll go through. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. Because Simon before of Cyrene, he was a sorcerer, but he got saved. And he figured, hey, I'm going to take, I guess, you know, like the old days, this is cool. I wonder if you can pay for this thing. These guys are cool. They lay hands on these people. They all start speaking in tongues, all kinds. I'll give you some money if you let me, you know, help me to do that too. And of course, that was the wrong thing to say, to say the least, but he was dumb. You know, he said, and when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money saying, give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. So they saw, he saw this, they laid hands and something happened. 
And of course, the next few verses where say your money perish with you, you know, and all this bit, and they rebuke him real soundly and say, this is not, you know, this, this, this is not the right spirit at all. You don't ask to pay for this stuff. And, and Simon repented real quickly. But anyhow, point A, he tried to buy the ability to impart the Holy Spirit, but the word gift here means an endowment. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a free gift like salvation. Point number two, I've got to hurry. The promise and the fulfillment. The promise was, of course, John 14, 16 and 17, when Jesus told his disciples, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. Everybody say comforter. He shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you for a month. Is that what it says? That he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world, see anybody, the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, nor knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth, listen to this, he dwells with you and shall be in you. Now, I just want to real quick give you the, the definition of the word comforter there. That's just, I'm sure you've heard the phrase. This is the Greek word paraclete, not parakeet. We always say, but paraclete. Parakeet is a budgie, another word for a budgie. <laughs> a lot of people say, you know, he was baptized with a parakeet. <laughs> no. The word paraclete, para means to come alongside, and kleos means to help. It means the word comforter is paraclesis or parakletos or paraclete. It, refer, it says to comfort, to encourage, or exhort. It refers to an aid of any kind. In the Greek, writers, in the Greek, it's used of writers, excuse me. In the Greek, it's used of legal advisors, pleaders, or proxy or advocates, one who comes forward in behalf of and as a representative of another. Thus, in 1 John 2, 1, Christ is termed our substitutionary intercessory advocate. Christ designates the Holy Spirit as paraclete and calls him another. Now, the reason the word another is important says, back here it says, he will show give you another comforter. There's two words for another in the Greek. One is alos, A-double-L-O-S, which is the word here. The other is heteros, H-E-T-E-R-O-S. But Christ says here he's going to give you another. But the word alos means another of equal quality, where heteros means of different quality. That's why heterosexuals are people that it's, it's a man and a woman. All right? It's, you know, two different. They're, they're different. But God's Word says that this paraclete, this Holy Spirit is going to be our comforter. He's one called alongside. He said he's going to be another just exactly the same as I, because whereas Christ is in heaven, why this is important, because again, where Christ is in heaven, We've got, as it were, another of exactly the same kind living on earth still and this time and now living within us. Therefore, the Holy Spirit is designated by Jesus Christ as equal to himself. This new paraclete, the Holy Spirit, was to witness concerning Jesus Christ and to glorify him. The Holy Spirit is called a paraclete because he undertakes Christ's office in the world. I see it. He undertakes Christ's, undertakes Christ's office in the world as the God-man in bodily form. Well, I'm sorry, I need to read it again. The Holy Spirit is called a paraclete because he undertakes Christ's office in the world while Christ is not in the world as the God-man in bodily form. In addition, the Holy Spirit is also called the paraclete because he acts as Christ's substitute on earth. But basically, again, 
We have another comforter now. Another Jesus is almost, you could almost get away with saying, one of exactly the same kind that's been called alongside us to help us. Now that's good news. Hallelujah. And let me just finish. I'll read Acts 2, 32, 33, and verse 38. It's on the outline. The promise and the fulfillment. God has raised, and Peter's telling what happened here. It says, God has raised this Jesus to life when he's preaching this message there to all the people in Jerusalem. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see in here. I'm sorry, he's talking about Pentecost. Pentecost has just happened in Acts 2, when all the Spirit of God had fallen. They all spoke with tongues, and all the people from different places were hearing people talk in their own languages and speak the, glory, the, the, the wonderful praises of God. And Peter's explaining this, and he said, again, exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So most definitely the Holy Spirit is a gift. Maybe I'll just read this one next verse. John 7, 37 to 39 on the next page. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Okay? Well, again, there's just so much here to talk about, but we're, we're going to have to stop again for tonight. And if you'll just make a little line there, we'll take off there with the fulfillment and then jump to lesson four when we come back together next week. Okay, let's pray. Father, once again, we do thank you so much for, I, I hope, I pray, I'm trusting that you're, that you're teaching us and guiding us and hopefully inspiring us towards greater and deeper fellowship with you, Holy Spirit. We need desperately to know how to yield to you and how to listen to you how to be led by you, because you'll lead each and every one of us differently because we're different people, similarly, but often differently. And thank God we can know you each personally. So we ask you for, the, for your help, and we, we say in Jesus' name we're going to practice yielding to you, and we're going to learn to wait upon you until we experience this power for ourselves because you want it for every single one of us. And it's available for every single one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. You have reached the end of this lesson. Please insert the next lesson to continue.